0: What a glorious day it has been today. Baptism, koinonia, man, I don't get better than that. (laughs) No, this is pretty good. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Jeremiah. And we are going to continue through chapter 5 and into chapter 6 tonight as we take a look. And one of the things we're going to be challenged with... as we we continue this study is, we're going to hear Jeremiah saying the same thing over and over and over again. There's a reason why Jeremiah says the same thing over and over again. We need to hear the same thing over and over again. We don't like it. But we need to hear it. The children of Israel are no different than us. Their tendency toward... Evil deceit to putting things in the place of God, a life of, of covetousness, wanting what they don't have. It's, it's no different than how we often live our lives ourselves. The advantage that we have is the Holy Spirit. And living a life in submission to the Holy Spirit is, is always a challenge. As we study scriptures like the one we're going to be going through tonight, we want to have eyes that say, Lord, what you're speaking to me in here, there, there are things, there are strongholds in our life. There are issues that we face, even like they faced at that time. And God is saying, hey, this is a stronghold for you. And you need to lay it down. May we be a people that are willing to be obedient when God says that. I tell my children, there are two ways you can do anything. The hard way and the easy way. When the Lord lays something on our heart, when God says, hey, you need to lay this down, it's for our good that we lay that down. It's for our good that we uh, trust that God's going to do his perfect plan. So as we look at chapter 5, as soon as I can see chapter 5, Uh, I'm going to back up uh, just a hair so we can kind of get with it again. Jeremiah is speaking these prophecies, the southern kingdom to the kingdom of Judah. Verse 14, he says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. Now, anytime we look in the scripture and we see the word, therefore, there's something we're supposed to do, right? We want to know what it's there for. We'll back up just to verse 12. The Lord is speaking of His uh, wayward shepherds, priests, prophets, kings, those who were to lead God's people and share God's word with them. In verse 12, He says, They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not He. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword nor famine. And the prophets became or become wind, for the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. See, Jeremiah had a, a struggle, not uh, unnecessarily different than what we have today, and that is a whole group of prophets that would stand up and say, "It's okay. It's okay. What you're doing's okay." And what the Bible tells in in Timothy, and we'll take a look at it tonight. Second Timothy. That the time would come when people will pile up for themselves, teachers, because they have itching ears. They just want to hear what they want to hear. They don't care about truth. They just want to hear what they want to hear. So the Lord would say, woe to the shepherds of Israel, the bad shepherd. And that's where God's focus is. When we look at verse 14, when he says, so because you speak this word, because you say what I haven't told you to say. Because you pretend to speak for me. There are a lot of churches that do that today. I was amazed in in my travels how often I could come across a pastor that don't believe. What a miserable profession to be a pastor that doesn't believe. Somewhere along the line, you know, got ripped off and and hasn't found his way back or hasn't... entered into salvation, and so the word is dead to him. He says here, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it will devour them. I love how God worked with Balaam. You know Balaam was a prophet, right? Book of Numbers tells us Balaam was a prophet. And he was not necessarily for the Lord, nor for the children of Israel. And so he took money to curse the children of Israel, but every time he opened his mouth, what did God do? He put words in his mouth. He wouldn't let him curse them. All they could say is blessing. We actually have prophecy from Balaam that points to the Messiah. Coming through Balaam as as the Lord would speak to him about the coming of Messiah. So here, God says, These false prophets, I'll put my word in their mouth. It'd be like fire. And it's going to consume the people. The people will be like wood. Behold, I bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. Now, again, we're, we're talking about the nation of Babylon. Babylon, you need to understand throughout the Scripture, Scripture basically is a tale of two cities. Jerusalem and Babylon. One is the city of God, and one is the city in rebellion against the Lord. You'll see it in Revelation. You'll see it throughout the prophets. Over and over and over again, Babylon is going to come come up. So as we look at this, this is Babylon. God is using Babylon, the city in rebellion against God, to judge his people. And his people have a problem with that. His people have a problem with God giving victory to those who are in rebellion against the Lord over his people. But God says... It's your iniquity that has done this because you will live in your sin and stay in your sin and you don't care. You don't want to repent. You don't want to change. That's why this judgment is coming. It's a mighty nation. It's an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Now that was something to strike fear into the people because as you're fighting or say you're conquered or you want to surrender, how do you do it? What do you say? I mean, there's certain things you can do, but don't be the first guy. Don't be the first guy running through with a sword or coming through with their gun saying, Ah, I quit, I quit. When the guy don't understand you, you just get shot. <clears throat> so the Lord says, you're not going to understand them. You're not going to be able to communicate. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They're almighty men. Every one of them was a mighty man. They will eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. And they shall eat up your flocks and your herds. And they shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. And they shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. Notice that. A few times in scripture, God's going to say to them, he's going to imply to them where their faith was. In the book of Revelation, one of the things we discover is that God is going to, during that time, during the time when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, the word used in the the book of Revelation is the the earth dwellers. The concept behind that in the Greek is their faith, their trust is in the earth. Their trust is in that which they can touch, that which they can see, that which they can walk on. Has nothing to care, not a, a wit for the heavenlies or for spiritual things, much like Esau. And so God says, I will shake everything that can be shaken. If you'd have been in Japan a week and a half ago, whew, man, talk about shaking. I was in a 7.9 in, uh, in Alaska in the 80s, and that was pretty good. This was a full point higher on the Richter scale, which is pretty dramatically... When I, when I was in Alaska in 7.9, just so you can kind of get a, a picture of it, the ground looked like waves, The ground, I never seen this, the ground was rolling. I was outside, I seen it with my eyes, rolling like standing in the waves at the ocean. It was wild. That, you know, that's what what they experience in Japan. What God says is, whatever you're putting your trust in, I'm gonna shake it, I'm gonna shake all those things so that you realize, well, if I got my trust in this fortified city, that fell, If I got my trust in the economic system, that collapsed. If I got my trust set in the fact that life will continue as it always has. It doesn't. Man, life changes on a dime. Boom. Things change. Boom. Just that radical. In an instant. 10,000 people were gone. In an instant. That's amazing to me. When we think back of the, the, the tidal wave in Thailand, remember that one, we're talking about 100,000, better than 100,000 people, boom, in an instant, gone. God says, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. You and I, we look at that and we say, oh man, what a, what a horrible thing. And, and you know I, don't know, I don't know how a loving God does that. I do. I know how. There are people that got hit by that tidal wave that had just enough time to cry out, Oh, God, save me. That will enter into the kingdom of God because God sent that tidal wave. God sent that earthquake. And there are people who rejected him time and time again. Who didn't realize the last time they said no was the last time they were going to get to say no. God wants us to realize the only place where our trust should be, where where it it is founded is in Him. Nothing else. Nothing else stays. Nothing else lasts. Nothing else is real. Just Him. Just Him. We think we know how things are going. But instantly all that can turn around. verse 18 he says, Nevertheless in those days, says the Lord... I will not make a complete end of you. And it shall be when you say, Where does the Lord our God do all these? Or why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? And you will answer them. Just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. God says, When you ask why, realize the same way you've forsaken me, I have forsaken you. And you're going to go to a foreign land? Think about the nation of Israel, right? For almost 2,000 years, they didn't have a homeland. But we see a promise of God, even in that, that God kept them separate. The United States a melting pot. Man, you come here, you just get mushed in, and you become a, a mutt. Heinz 57, you know, we don't hold on to, nobody holds on to it, but... Jewish people remained separate everywhere they went, everywhere they went, looking forward, even in those days, for when God would call them home. And that call came and they went. Now, Jeremiah is going to turn his eyes toward the blind fools in in, uh, verses 20 through 25. He says, Declare this in the house of Judah, and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who, and who have ears and hear not. So he's dealing with those. There's no, no man so blind as he who will not see. The, the man who chooses not to see. So Jeremiah turns his attention to the blind fool. You know what I'm reminded of in the Psalms? The psalmist declared... You become like the God you serve. He said, you worship false idols. Eyes they have, but they see not. Ears they have, but they hear not. A nose they have, but they cannot smell. A mouth they have, but they cannot speak. Arms they have, but they cannot move. Feet they have, but they cannot walk. He says, those who serve them become like them. Empty. No life. Blind deaf dumb and here's what he's saying to them almost the same words who have eyes and see not who have ears and hear not so the first thing he says in verse 21 one of the issues of the blind fools they have no understanding they're without understanding they can't see the natural man the scripture declares cannot understand the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned the word doesn't make any sense Because they don't have the Spirit. If you are not saved, unrepentant, haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Word will never make sense. You're without understanding. Or for Jeremiah, a blind fool who will not see. Isn't that what Romans 1, 2, and 3 is all about? Who seeing creation, who knowing that there is a God, did not worship Him as God, but worshiped the creature instead of the Creator? Wow, that, what better definition for our world than Romans 1, 2, and 3 to, to look at what's going on. Here, Jeremiah says, here's what's going on with the blind fools. First, they're without understanding. Then, they're without reverence. In verse 22, excuse me, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who has placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual degree, decree that it cannot Pass beyond it, and though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. The Lord says, You don't fear me, but you, you fear the sea. You have a reverential fear for the sea, but it's me who holds the sea in its boundaries, who keeps it off the land by just a little bit of sand. God says, But you won't have fear or reverence for me. I can't remember the the guy's name slipped out of my mind, but a well-known humanist who said this, design, I can see it everywhere. Designer, I refuse to believe. Design, I see everywhere. Designer, can't be. What's the bottom line? I will not. Allow God to rule over me. I will make my own choices in my life. Rejection of him. Ultimately, hell simply is God giving people what they want. An eternity without him. They just don't really understand what they're saying. If they did, they wouldn't choose it. They wouldn't go there. Well... Scripture goes on to say, not only are they without understanding, not only are they without reverence, but he goes on to say, they are also without gratitude. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gave rain, both in the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. They weren't thankful for what God gave. They didn't have a, a fear of the Lord. They, weren't, they were without gratitude. They would not say in their heart, Oh, let's fear of the Lord. God." It's God, it's God the Father who gives us rain. Remember, I told you the, the incredible thing about Israel is that a land without water, it's a desert. But God called it a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a desert. Rocks, the rocks yeah. Oh, brother, let me tell you. Did I ever tell you guys I, I had a guy make me put a rock back in Israel? Uh, dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. I have since brought hundreds of rocks home from Israel. Whenever I go, I go somewhere. If I go to En Gedi, I'm bringing back a rock. And I could bring back a rock and so could everybody else whoever goes to Israel for all of eternity and there would be no shortage of rocks in Israel. Is right. But by golly, they were afraid that their whole land was going to disappear because I took a rock from Mingeti. My word. What do, you, what do we build a house with here in the United States? Wood. What do they build a house with in Israel? Rocks. Why? They don't have any wood. They got lots of rocks. Everywhere, rocks, 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 rocks. I told you guys how that happened, right? That God gave two angels to charge. One angel was good and he took rocks everywhere around the world and the other one was lazy and dumped them all in Israel. (laughs) And that's where they are. And I'll tell that joke 10,000 more times before God takes me home. So get used to it. Now, as we, come, as we take a look, they were unfaithful, they had no reverence, no fear of the Lord, and they were without understanding. So what did that make them? A blind fool. A blind fool. And what, what's he saying in verse 25? Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. Understand that. Whether you are saved or not, the wages of sin remains the same. The wages of sin is death. If you play with sin, it will kill you. That's what it does. So the Lord says here to them, it's your iniquities that have turned it away. Here's what God said. You live in a desert, there's no water. Serve me and I will make this a land flowing with milk and honey for I will bring streams in the desert. Isn't that what he said? I will pour out water upon you. I'll give you the early rain, the latter rain, everything that you need. And I'll give you a clue for when things are out of whack. I'll hold the rain back and you'll know we're doing something wrong. And here they're like, they weren't even thankful for when the rain did come. I remember in Israel, this last time I was there, it's the worst drought they've ever had. You go to the Sea of Galilee where I used to get on a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. That's now dry land. And they had to build more docks further down into the water to reach the water. That's how much it has receded. It's amazing how, how much. And that's all the fresh water for Israel. No rain. No rain. No rain. Oh, we're really worried about the rain. We're trying to turn salt water into fresh water. That's the yeah. only way we're going to. Maybe you should turn your eyes back to the Lord Jesus Christ and watch the rain come. Yeah. But they still don't see Jesus said, "I come in my Father's name, and you didn't receive me, another will come in His own name, and what? Him you will receive. There's a leader coming, and he'll have solutions for him, but they won't be God's solutions, that's for sure. Now in verse 26 through, through uh, 29, <coughs> excuse me, he's going to focus on what I like to call the fat cats, fat cats. Lazy, rich people who got everything they want. Look what he says. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. Now, that's not like a cat. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek, fat cat. Yet they surpass the deeds of the wicked. Here's how they got their riches. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper, and the right of the needy they do not defend. Fat cats are those people who acquired their riches by defrauding the poor. Take advantage of the poor. Rip off the poor man. Listen, Cole's been uh, looking for a job for, for a while and he went on to M- Magic Valley. What's, what was it called? Help wanted. Help wanted. Help. Magic Valley Help com. Anyways, so he goes on there and there's this job thing. He calls them. <laughs> they call him back and they say, Well, yeah, we can hire you to do this thing, but what we need you to do is we gotta, we got to send you some stuff. So we need your credit card, and we'll charge you 295 That's it. We'll just charge you $295. we will send you the stuff that you need, and, and you can start working from home. So Cole calls. Dad, call these guys, and he has them on the phone while he's talking to us. He's got them on the phone and the house phone or them on his cell and us on the house phone. I don't know which, but he's talking to us. And he goes, they, need a, they, they, they want the credit card. Now, he don't have a credit card, thank God. Dad's the only one with a credit card, and it apparently has an endless limit, because you could just, Dad, just use your credit card. So he calls, and he says, I say, man, son, that sounds like a scam. It's $295? Uh i would say, no, you don't need that job that bad. Forget about it. So he's not too happy, because he's thinking he could actually have a job if he had the 295 but... So he stops, and I tell him, he goes online and researches it, finds out the whole thing's a scam. Now, listen, who are they ripping off? Who's on that website? The guy who just lost his job and is hoping for any way to help his family get by. That's who they're ripping off. And you give them your credit card, and they charge you two ninety five, and then they charge you for all this other stuff. Here's how they busted the scam. A, a woman signed up for it had a whole crew of people, and they're supposed to do some kind of survey on different stores. And if your survey is accepted, then they'll pay you for each survey, 50 bucks for each, for each survey. Yeah. So, it's what? $2.95. But they don't charge you $2.95. That's what they say they're going to charge you. They charge you however much they want until you put a stop on that cotton pin credit card because they got your number. And then this girl, she, she had this team of, of whatever, investor people, smart guys, fill out this paperwork perfectly and send it back to them. Did she get 50 bucks? No. Wasn't accepted. Nobody's is ever accepted. They make their money by getting whatever they can charge on your credit card and ripping you off. That is a fat cat ripping off the poor to get by. It's wrong. And here Jeremiah, talking to the, way back in Israel, same way. They were running the same kind of scams. Who's the guy who's really desperate for whatever? The poor. Who's just trying to find another way to get milk. But you're going to steal his 2 dollars You're going to steal money. You're going to run up his credit card. <clears throat> Then he's going to have to pay back later. So the Lord says, hey, <clears throat> you're fat cat. And you're, you are not pleading the cause of the fatherless. Listen, I want you to understand this. God's not happy about this. You're not pleading the cause of the fatherless or the rights of the needy. They do not defend. <coughs> so look what he said in verse 29. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? A nation that don't care for the poor? Man, that's us. There was a time across the nation we paid farmers not to grow. While half the world is starving. Is that stupid? Seems stupid to me. We pay you not to plant, not to grow. We've got <clears throat> too much of this, or it'll drive prices. But, but meanwhile, two, three, four, five hundred, a thousand, two thousand children are dying every day of starvation. That if you would just send it, just just send it over. Oh, that costs us too much money. Oh man, don't you understand? We live better than everybody else on the planet. We live better than everyone. I've been in places still in this world today with dirt floor, no running water, no toilet, no bathroom, no mirror, no sink, no dishes. By the hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. I've built, I don't even know, maybe 20, 30 houses for people out of garage doors. That's an upgrade from the box that they were living in or the plastic house with the plastic wrap that they had. But we as a nation wouldn't feed them. To think God's judgment is not going to come, don't be dumb. God's judgment will come. Shall I not judge a nation like that? God wants us to care about it. God's biggest problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was that very thing. We all point to the homosexuality. Homosexuality was a cause for a sin in their life. The sin in their life that started it all was they had an abundance of time, an abundance of money, and they didn't care about the poor. That's what Ezekiel says. So God destroyed them. Who is he who is the defender of the fatherless? What's it say in Deuteronomy? God says, I'm the defender of the fatherless. I see how you treat them. I see what you do or what you don't do. I'm thankful for our body. I'm thankful that that as a body we support. That we support um, the Pregnancy Crisis Center and try to help moms and help with adoptions and help and be a part of that. And that's something every one of us, anybody who gives to church is a part of. I'm thankful that we as a church gave an incredible gift to, to a, an orphanage out in Vietnam. I'm thankful that we gave a, a great gift out to Malawi. Why? Because we care about those things. We care about the fatherless. We care about the orphan. We care about the widow. God says you better do it. You better care. Because he cares. He wants us to be like him, right? If he cares, we have to care. Now, verse 30, he goes on now to talk about lying prophets. An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? They piled up teachers they like to hear. I don't like to go to that church, they teach the word. I like to go to this church because they just do a few skits and we don't really talk about the word, but I feel awful good when we leave in the nighttime. It's a social gathering. It's wow, it's really good. I really, this is my kind of thing. The Bible says people like it. They'll have itching ears. They don't want to put in the work to study the word, to spend time to know the word of God. They want to spend time. Listening to prophets that prophesy falsely. Breaks my heart. Turn on TV and see Benny Hinn with 100,000, 50,000, whatever. Insane amount of people sitting around him listening to lies. <clears throat> you ask him, don't you care? No. He heals people. I don't care what he says as long as he's healing people. I care quite a bit about what he's saying. if He's healing people. Well, you, do you ever read the Bible? The Bible says that Satan will come with lying signs and wonders. That means he'll do amazing things, but he's telling lies. It matters. But people like to go and hear what they want to hear. See what they want to see. In, in chapter 6, he goes on. Now, O oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa. And set up a signal fire in Beth Hasarem. for disaster appears out of the north and a great destruction. Again, when we talk about that, who are we looking at? Babylon, okay? Babylon coming out of the north. <clears throat> I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely, delicate woman. Oh, it's so nice. Well, don't you understand he's talking about war. He says, here comes the enemy and you're a bunch of girls. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Do we miss it? He's saying, here comes an army coming down from the north, and you are like a bunch of delicate women. Now, I don't know about you guys, and I'm more than happy to say women can do anything can, but I would not want a delicate woman fighting for me. Uh, just give me the sword. <laughs> uh, maybe I won't do any better, but I'll feel better about it. But the Lord says, oh, you guys, you guys are a bunch of pretty little girls. The shepherds... With their flocks will come to her and pitch their tents against her all around. Each one shall pasture in his own place. He's saying, oh, listen, shepherds can handle this. Now shepherds, even at the time of of Christ, was not an exalted profession. They were viewed as kind of lowly. But here the Lord's saying, the shepherds will take you guys. You're just a bunch of girls. Don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but you know what I'm saying preach it (laughs) and then in verse 4 he says prepare war against her arise and let us go up to the noon at noon woe to us for the day goes away for the shadows of the evening are lengthening so arise let us go out by night and let us destroy her palaces that would have spooked them why well you know they have rules of engagement in war right One of the rules of engagement of war is it's bad to fight at night. We can't see you. But here the Lord says, oh, they'll talk about coming in the daytime, change your mind, and come at night. Go against the rules of engagement in the Middle East, and they will attack. For thus, as the Lord of hosts said, cut down trees and build a mound against, whoa, who said that? Yeah, for thus has the Lord said, capital L O R D, that's Yahweh, Tetragrammaton, Yehovah, Yahweh, the very name of God. Who is it that said to build an embankment against Jerusalem? God. God sent him. God sent him. Cut down trees, build a mound. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. As a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are heard in her. Before me continually are grief and wounds. When I read that, I'm reminded of the Lord uh, in that whole issue with with Cain and Abel. When he says, I have the grief and wounds before me continually. Because God cares about justice in a land he says that that murder soils Oh, the glove doesn't fit. What's that mean? It means the glove doesn't fit. I'm smart enough to know working gloves, leather, soak them in water. Tell me what happens the next time you try to put them on. Uh, but the rest of the world, uh, at least the 12 jurors, are too dumb to know that. <laughs> too dumb. Unreal. But hey, what do we care? I mean... We, We'll do everything we can to let the the murder off the hook. God says, man, that's grief and wounds before me all the time. Whatever the Lord had to say about Jerusalem, man, He could say that about us tenfold. Tenfold. He goes on to declare, violence and plundering before me continually, grief and wounds. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, Lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel. As a grape gatherer, put your hand back into the branches. Now he's laying out, they're going to strip you clean. Like that grape gatherer who, who... not only pulls down the vine once, but he goes back and gets a second handful. Remember when when the they went through picking the 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 vine, picking the grapes. They could only make one pass. If they made two passes, there would be nothing left. They wouldn't have missed anything. And that's what he's saying. That's how it's going to be when their judgment comes. To whom? Now look at verse ten. So to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them, and they have no delight in it. This is Jeremiah saying, who am I going to tell this to? God, they won't listen. They won't listen. Sound familiar? Jesus said something like that about the Pharisees, didn't he? I'm not going to speak to them plainly anymore. I'll speak to them through parables, because hearing they don't hear. Seeing they don't perceive. He was quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah had the same problem Jeremiah had. The people won't listen. The people won't receive. The people won't turn. Nonetheless, God brings the word. Nonetheless, God brings that opportunity. He goes on in verse 11, Therefore I am full of fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. Everyone wants what they don't have. Pretty good mark for today, wouldn't you say? Everyone, I want what I don't have. Almost every night I can go to bed wanting something. The Lord says, hey, the whole land is given to covetousness. The whole land, everywhere they look, trying to grasp at what they don't have. Doing whatever it takes to get what they want. That's the idea. And look what he says in, that, in the second part of, of verse 13. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Everyone's a liar. Everyone's a thief. None of them are righteous. No, not one. We understand why Jesus had to come, don't don't we? Apart from Jesus coming and setting the standard of righteousness that God required, none of us had a hope. Every one of us, every one of us is guilty. The same judgment that God lays out here. And then look at verse 14. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. How they do that? Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Oh, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. God don't care. You know, God will forgive you. God, <clears throat> God is a God of love. It doesn't matter how you live. Just trust in him. All these messages that people say, peace, 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 peace. It's all okay. Peace, peace. That's not what Jesus said. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For the enemy of a man's house will be those of his own house. Father against son, mother against daughter, brothers against one another. Jesus divides people. can we see that in the world? If you're for Christ, if you're tolerant of the Lord Jesus Christ, then everyone else is intolerant of you. We want to have that opportunity to recognize Jesus said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution. Well, Paul said it, but it's Jesus' words. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. The biggest problem that, that people have with alternate views of the rapture is this concept that those who believe in a in a pre-trib rapture believe that they're going to be delivered from all type of persecution or tribulation and times will never get hard we the last person to tell you that. I believe in pre-trib rapture because we're not appointed to wrath. But that doesn't mean we're not ever going to suffer, that times won't get hard, that the economy won't bottom out, that, that we'll have to pool together our resources as a church to help one another to survive. That's what we're here for, isn't it? But that don't change anything. The, last, the, the day I eat my last speck of bread and I finally know what it is for brothers of mine, believers in Africa or somewhere else that eat one meal every other day. I'll finally understand some of the things that they've had to go through. But that morning, I'll look out my window saying, come Lord Jesus, come. Looking for him. Redeeming the time till I see him face to face. It's not about whether or not we escape hard times. It's about whether or not we escape the wrath of God. Whether or not God is going to whoop his wife before he marries her. Isn't that what we're called, the bride of Christ, right? In Revelation chapter 6, first opening verses of the tribulation, what's it called? The wrath of the Lamb. And we're the bride of Christ, the bride of the Lamb. So I'm sure he's just going to wail on us to purify us. Because that's what I did to Kathy before we got married. I said, listen, babe, I need to get some things straight. There's a whooping that needs to happen before this wedding. Now, do I think we're going to go through tribulation, persecution, hard times? Absolutely. And just like the church at Smyrna, the Lord's message to us will be faithful to death. And I'll give you the crown of life. God never promises to to deliver us from everything we'll ever face. But he will deliver us from his wrath. For that wrath was poured out on his son. He bore it for me. God doesn't have to put a stripe on my back. He put them on Jesus. And by faith, that's attributed to me. So he became sin and I became righteous. Not a very good trade for him. I became a trophy of his grace. But one day he'll put on a shelf. That's Jackie, you wouldn't believe how messed up he was. And I saved him. Just like he saved all of us. There are times will come. Our, our nation, if our nation isn't judged, Sodom and Gomorrah, they need an apology. Because we are messed up. This world is messed up. This world is in dire need of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And God has already chosen the only way he's going to do it is through you and me. So if we do nothing, nothing happens. If we do something, something happens. I forget who puts it out, but long-winded preachers. I forget who puts it out, but there's a, a, an organization, an evangelical organization. Maybe some of you guys have heard it. But basically, the concept is if every Christian leads one person to the Lord a year, the whole world would come to know Jesus Christ in a relatively short period of time. Because every effort is doubled. They told two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. One a year. That's not impossible to me. It's not impossible to share your faith. Lead one person to the Lord. Is it six years that it would be done? I know it's short. It's not very long. It's not very long. If my people would do that. Well, let's finish up. Verse 15. He says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. Be cast down. They're not even smart enough to be ashamed. They're not even smart enough to, to be willing to understand that, man, they they need to be ashamed for, for what they've said, what they've done, what they've allowed uh, to be in their life and a part of who they are. But they're not. They're not. So... In closing tonight, I just want to look at Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. Just going to read it. Um, verse two uh, through four says, "Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching." For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but who? All who have loved his appearing. For all who look for his return. We're going to close tonight with a time of prayer. I know it's late, but it's okay. We'll pray till we stop. And, uh, and then we'll go home at that point. So we're just going to have a time of prayer, open prayer. Lord, lay something on your heart. I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to call on his name. Sit quietly at his feet. Uh, whenever you got to go, it's okay. God bless you. We'll see you next time we see you. And uh, for those who can stay, we'll just uh, make our requests known to to our God and Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we we thank you for this time when we can come before you. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, just encourage each of us in our faith, Lord. Encourage us that we can be and do and say the things. That you are directing us to do. That you don't call us to something you don't equip us for. If you call us to do the work of an evangelist, you, you will equip us if we're willing. If we're willing to share. God, what a great thing is the Apostle Paul was able to say that we might say, I have finished my race. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. May that be who we are, looking endlessly until that time when we breathe our last breath, (coughs) looking for your appearing and enjoying the crown of righteousness that you give for that righteous servant who lives his life in expectancy of the master's return. Lord, we pray that you would just give us eyes to see the circumstances of our life day in and day out where we might minister, where we might share. Give us boldness by the power of your Spirit that we would be the witnesses you're calling us to be. Make us your people willing to pray, willing to praise. Awake us from slumber. And help us to shine with the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Lord, we pray that you would just anoint this time as we seek your face here.